church is definitely a calling that the Lord places in the heart of a man. And you know, whenever you think about it, it requires some things of that man. So what does it require of him? Well, it requires some commitment. My microphone's on. It requires commitment, and it requires contentment. It, can, it requires some in, uh, character. It requires integrity. And when you think about this, if a man desire this office, he desireth a good work. And so that commitment, that contentment, that integrity, that character needs to be there. And I love the fact that God calls it a good work. <laughs> So I titled the message tonight, A Good Work, because that's God called it a good work. He desireth a good work, something that's of value, something that's worthy to do, something that's to be good to be a part of. And this is referred to as a good work, a work that comes with a calling from God. And any man that has his heart set up on this position, he has a focus on pleasing God. He's thinking about what can I do to please the Lord? Not what can I do to please a people, but what can I do to please the Lord? And through it, people may be pleased, but the fact is, is what can I do to please the Lord? And, and I, I challenge the church tonight, and, and I'll do this in two ways. One, to the men of this church, is God calling one of you men in this church to this good work tonight? Is God calling you? And I want you to think about it as we go through the message. And then for us as believers, you say, well, God's not calling me, but as believers... Are you praying that God would call some men out of this church? That he would call some missionaries out of this church? Are we praying that God would do that? He said, Pastor, we need to get people here first. I want to tell you something. When we're doing God's will, God's way, doing God's work, God will provide. He'll do what is necessary to make things happen. And so as a body of believers... Are you praying that men would be called out of Calvary to pastor in the States here or on some foreign field, on a missionary field somewhere? And by the way, the qualifications of missionary going to a foreign field is the same as the pastor in a local church. <laughs> I, I've heard men say this, well, they'll, they'll not really be able to pastor church, but we're, we're going to send them on the mission field. Why <laughs> would you do that? If they can't qualify here, how will they qualify there? <laughs> and, and I've seen some of those mistakes be made. <laughs> And, and, and what God is doing is, is he's calling men. And, and God who calls you, he qualifies you. He makes sure that you meet these conditions. Now, this is a, a good work. Uh, and this good work is an office established by God. And a man must meet the qualifications. And this man must taint, maintain this godly conduct in his life. So the office of a pastor, let's talk about this for just a moment. This is an office that is designed by the Lord to be a position of having the oversight of what God established and Christ died for. What is that? The local New Testament church. That's what the pastor is called to, to have the oversight of that. And the office of the pastor is not for all men, but men that are called of God to fulfill his work and his will. Now, there's an understanding that the church belongs to, go, to the Lord and the pastor has been given the church to the church to help it lead in the people in God's direction. And so when you read through all of this, you begin to understand that the responsibility that the pastor has is to lead the people. To do what? To serve the Lord. And, and so you find out as you go in and you read, you understand this. A leader, a servant is what he needs to be and willing to encourage people and to be involved in the work himself. And the Lord gave the pastor to the local church. And you think that not so, I want you to turn to Ephesians with me. I want you to see gifts that God gave to the local church. And uh, listen, I'm not being high-minded here, but if God would have given anything to Calvary Chapel Baptist Church, he'd have wrapped me up in a bow and sent me to you. Because he gave the pastor to the local church. 
And, and so not me in particular, but the office of and the man that he puts there, he provides for the church that way. Now, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, if you're with me, the Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now watch. Here's the purpose that he gave them. He gave them for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. You say, there it is. The pastor came so he can do the work of the ministry. No, he came for the perfecting of the saints for them to do the work of the ministry. And so the pastor's here to help, and he is a part of that ministry, and he has a servant spirit and wants to do those things. And I want to go soul winning, and I want to win people to the Lord. I want to put the John and Romans together. Uh, you know, I want to uh, be in the services. I want to teach. I want to, I want to do all those things. And I want to be a part of all of that. But he came here and God placed me here so that I might encourage you to do these things. Amen. All of you men out there ought to decide in your heart, what is it that God has called me to do at this local New Testament church? And then come talk to the pastor. Amen. And, and we'll sit down and God has a plan designed for your life. I promise you that. He has something that he wants you to do. He has something that he desires for every one of you men in this church to be involved in. Every one of you. And so what is that? Now, in this particular case, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Now watch this. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, if a man then reaches out to be in this office of the bishop and overseer, a place of responsibility is what it is. And, and you begin to look at this in leadership, the work of God in the local New Testament church, he's longing for something good in his heart. So, fellas, if, if God's calling you, Caleb, to do something like this, it's a good thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a very positive thing, Liam. Very positive thing, Cale. It is something that God is calling you to, Ben or Joe or Connor or Braden or David. What does God want to do in your lives? He didn't plant this church here just so we could come and sing songs together and have pastor do this once an hour uh, on, on a Sunday a couple of times. He brought us together so that we might fulfill the Great Commission. Amen? Amen. So this church was planted here for what purpose? That we might teach others to be disciples and go and do the same. Go and do likewise. And he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And is God calling one of you men out of here? Is he calling you to prepare your heart for the ministry? You say, well, I don't know. That's a long time. Hey, he called David to be king. It took seven years before he sat on the throne, didn't it? And sometimes it takes training, yes. It takes learning, yes. It takes understanding, yes. But God will give you what you need to be in this position. Now, as I share that with you, uh, this position that God assigns a man comes with a high calling, a great responsibility. And the Lord wants to use this life to fulfill his purpose. And you say, for what? For some locality on the map? How many years ago did he call Ron Boldman here? And this church is still standing because of one man's heart some 48 years ago. Isn't that amazing? And so God still has this place here. And granted, there has been pastors come through here, and I understand that, but the bottom line is, is that God desires for this place to be here. If he didn't, the doors would be shut. And God wants this place to fulfill the Great Commission. He wants pastors and missionaries to be called out of here. He wants those things to start occurring. 
Now, this is not a place of power, but of submission under the Lord's will. And there are times when a man's being led of God, and sometimes people disagree, but this takes spiritual strength to maintain God's direction, to keep things moving in God's direction. Paul is, of course, writing to Timothy here and trying to encourage him to fulfill God's will. Turn back to chapter 1 of of 1 Timothy here. Look at this in verse 3. And he's trying to encourage Timothy, but watch this. As I besought thee to abide still with Ephesus when I went unto Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So he's telling Timothy, hey, listen, make sure that they're teaching the right stuff. Isn't that what he just told him? Make sure they're not teaching the wrong thing. Make sure they're teaching the right stuff. So there's some training taking place. Now, Paul evidently had Timothy to the place where Timothy was now having the ability to train others. And then he makes this statement. He said, neither give heed to fables or endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is, uh, which is in faith, so do. He said, hey, Tim, listen, be careful because there's some people out there teaching things that are nonsense. Isn't that what he told him? And he said, be careful about not getting bogged down into these genealogies. And he says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside until doing what? Vain jangling. jangling. That means useless talk. They're they're just running their mouths. And it goes on down to verse 9. And so, yes, there are times when trouble enters in. There are times when struggles enter in. Uh, There's financial needs. There's financial struggles sometimes in a local church. But if God called you, he'll qualify you. He'll make sure you're ready. And he needs you to have that commitment and that integrity and that character and that contentment that needs to be there for this work. Now, in the first chapter, Paul gets on Timothy and tells him, hey, listen, you're going to face adversity. And I looked in the scriptures and I thought to myself, you know, there's not a single solitary person that God assigned that they didn't run into some sort of struggle. Would you agree? Did Moses have some struggles? <laughs> he ran into some trouble, didn't he? Joshua had trouble, did he not? Hey, listen, when, when he was using Ruth, did Ruth have it easy or did she have it hard? And, and, and so you look at people in the scriptures who God uses, and in these particular cases, everybody that you think about, Gideon and Nehemiah and Paul and jo- uh, Joshua and Moses and Abraham, and you can go on and on on the list, and you say, did they have struggles? Yes. When God called them, there were some struggles. Now, as a body of believers, we should be continually praying that the Lord would call men out of Calvary to pastor. Where? Here in the States. You know, I'm not going to be on the scene forever either. I ought to be training somebody to take my job, shouldn't I? I ought to have somebody that I'm training all the time to move into this position. My pastor wrote a book called Passing the Baton. I was going to have him come out. I want to try to get him out here sometime. I'd love for you guys to meet my pastor. When I read the book, I realized I was the guy in the book. (laughs) And when I read it, I knew I was him. He finally admitted it, by the way. He went down to preach at James's down there now, down there where I was. And he, he came in and he said, I have a grandchild here of some sorts. He said, James is sort of like my grandkid. He said, Bob was sort of like my son. And he said, by the way, Bob, I did write that book about you. <laughs> and I knew I was the guy. I read it and I said, he did that to me. He was training me. And what he had desired to do was to train me up. And he didn't know when God was going to have him go off the scene, but he was training up men to take a work. And even if that meant taking Loudon Baptist Temple. And what it is is that we have to always be thinking about training someone up. 
Now, as believers, as this body of believers, we ought to be praying and asking God to call men into the position of a pastor or a missionary. And you say, why should we do that? It's a high calling. And God desires for the local New Testament church to produce these people. God desires for us to invest in people's lives. And by the way, Connie and Vicki, you have no idea who's on your bus. We think we know them. I want to tell you, they thought they knew me as a child. I am pastoring a local church today. And the fact is, is if you went back and talked to that bus driver that drove me around, Brother Mike, no way is that kid ever going to be a pastor. That little brat, I'll tell you what, I could smack him upside his head. And I am certain he never thought that. But God decided to do something, didn't he? And God can decide in the lives of every one of these young men in here right now. And he can decide that he wants to use you. And then you have to be willing to be used of God. Hey, listen, if you desire the office of a bishop, you're desiring a good work. Second thought is this. I want you to think about the qualifications of the pastor. And of course, he goes on here. He said, a bishop then must be blameless. And he lists a number of things there. And these qualifications are laid down by the Lord, by the way. And it's not up to man to determine whether or not they are to be adhered to or not. God laid them down as conditions, as qualifications, didn't he? And, and what happens today is we don't like the qualifications. So therefore, we just kind of cast them off as, well, they're not that important. And, and, and by the way, when you look at this, it says a bishop then must be the husband of one wife. Ladies, I'm not being unkind, but a woman is not to pastor a local church, no matter what religion they're in. They ought not be doing this at all. And we know that the Southern Baptists are leaning that way now, and we know the Methodists are doing it, and we know the Lutheran and the Episcopalians are doing it. And so why are not these independent fundamental Baptists just coming around to where they should be, knowing that women ought to be pastoring churches? Because the Bible said they're not supposed to. And that's hard to swallow, but I didn't make the rules. I'm only preaching them. Amen? Amen. And God says that the, these qualifications have to be made. Now, here's what it is. Well, there's cultural changes, and so we ought to change according to the culture. And I want to tell you, if we changed according to the culture, independent fundamental Baptists won't exist. And the fact is, is when you go into the Scriptures, cultural change did not change the gospel, did it? Cultural change can't change salvation. It is what it is. But cultural change has tried to change the Bible, have they not? They have tried to change how we behave, how we act, what's, what's uh, reasonable, uh, and, and that we need to be relevant. And relevancy in their mind is, is do whatever you feel good about doing and do it just like the world does. And listen, there needs to be no distinction between the church and the world. I'm going to tell you, there needs to be a greater distinction between the church and the world. Amen? When people walk in, they need to know that they have been in the house of God. And fellas, when you go out, you don't go out thinking, well, I just want to be relevant. I just want people to like me. Uh, I need the outfit and the goatee and the hairdo and all that kind of stuff. Listen, you don't need any of that stuff. What you need is Christ in your ministry. And if Christ is in it, things will forge ahead. Now, I want to tell you, I'm preaching stuff people don't want to hear right now. They want to hear, well, we want to be relevant, and we want to be this, and we want to be that. We want to be like the church down the street. You know what kind of church I want to be? The kind of church that Jesus Christ established. Amen. That's the kind of church I want to be. 
I want to be in the house of the Lord and I want to adhere to the truth of the word of God. And he said that the bishop must be the husband of one wife and there is no way a woman can be the husband of one wife. Not going to happen. Well, we have a different Bible. Well, we have a different version of that. And the thing of it is, is that culture isn't going to change what God said. It's not going to do it. There are those who pervert the truth so that they may consume it upon their own lust. They want to do this, and so therefore they do. Now, the Word of God is what stands, amen? And we need to stand on the Word of God. Romans 3, 4, God forbid, yea, let God be true and let every man be a liar, amen? Because men are liars, and there are people out there that are lying, saying that it's okay for us to change these qualifications. I know men that are in a ministry today that have been married and divorced. You know what? The husband of one wife can't be married and divorced. Are you with me? Well, there are ministries out there today that says that that's okay. The Bible doesn't agree with that. And listen, we ought to agree with God rather than man. Amen. We ought to agree with what God said, not what man's telling us that they think that God meant by what he said. And, and, and so, uh, you know, we just need to understand this under culturally relevant ways today. And that's just not true. We need to adhere to the truth of the word of God. He said, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. The elder or the principal official in the local church was called by the Holy Spirit. Acts 20, 28 says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Who made them that? <laughs> the Holy Spirit did. Well, what does that tell you? One, a man must be saved, amen, to qualify for this position. The Holy Ghost can't be with you if you're not saved. A businessman started a church in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. And it's a huge work. And, and he's not preaching salvation in Christ. He's preaching, let's be culturally relevant. Let's deal with how you feel. And the thing is growing leaps and bounds. So therefore, God must be in that. Because it's growing leaps and bounds. He's an unsaved man leading a work and not even preaching the truth of the word of God. What he has is a crowd, not a church. And he's getting up and he's using this book, not this particular version, but he's using this book to manipulate a people. And what we need to do is get back to the truth of the word of God. Here it is. He says, not only that, that we are to take heed that the overseers are called by the Holy Ghost, but here's the reason, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Well, why wouldn't I be a saved man preaching this truth? You see, a lot of men say, well, I'd like to do that. There might be a lot of money in that. I want to tell you, there's not a lot of money in it, guys. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of love. You have the love of God. You have the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll fall in love with a people. And you'll begin to minister to them and to their needs. And you'll begin to love them just like you would love your own personal family. God does some amazing things in the heart of men. As I thought about this, it was recognized by the elders. So there are men that say, well, I'm just going to go out and start my church. 
1 Timothy 4.14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. He said, hey, there were people that came in, and the laying on of the hands wasn't that they laid on him and tried to beat him up. They laid hands on him and prayed over him because he was getting ready to go out. And by the way, churches plant churches. Men don't start churches. God starts churches. Amen. And churches birth churches. They give life to other churches. That's how churches are started. So when a man gets in an uproar and runs down the street and starts his own work, I'm telling you right now, he is out of order. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You don't get to go start your own work because you're mad. <laughs> and the thing of it is, is that it is God that plants churches. And churches are birthed from churches. And boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just birthed churches out of here. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Say, Pastor, how's that going to happen? I don't know. God's in charge. Amen. And we were praying that God would call up men and they would call them to the ministry, that God would help us to plant churches. So then, what about all this? Well, it is a qualification according to the standards that are listed here in these passages. The duties of the pastor included are not limited to ruling, he says in 1 Timothy 5.17, and then pastoring or shepherding the flock, according to 1 Peter 5.2, and then general oversight of the work, including the finances, in Acts 11.28-30. And there are three terms used by the scriptures to refer to the pastoral position. He refers to them as elder, bishop, and pastor. And I want you to know, whenever you look at the term bishop, it means the bearded one. Now, ladies, I'm not trying to be unkind. How many of you want to be the bearded one? I'm just asking. We'd do anything, wouldn't we, ladies, to get rid of that stuff. If there's some stuff grown there, you don't want that. So sometimes I want to call some of those televangelists and tell them you're missing your beard. Why? Because they are out of order. <laughs> are they not? They're not doing what God's called them to. Now, the pastor is the, pastor is the under-shepherd of, uh, of, of Christ, and therefore his duties include to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So, fellows, if God's called you, he's called you to be an example, hasn't he? Just as Jesus Christ is our example, we ought to be an example to other people. In what ways? Well, in our attitude and in our spirit and our heart and our dress and our, uh, all the things that, that, that we need to do to be a good example to other people. You know, when you go out and you lose your temper with people in the community, <laughs> that's not going to help you. How many of you would like to find out that Pastor went over there and just blew a gasket on Wally over here at, uh, at Wagner's? Would you want to hear that? Or man, pastor was down here. He was at CarQuest the other day. Boy, he laid into Dave. I was standing there. I watched him do that. Would you want to hear that? Would you want to hear that pastor's just blowing a gasket on people and yelling and screaming at people while he's going through the community? Is that the kind of pastor you would want? Or would you want a pastor who said, yeah, your pastor was down there the other day. Man, that fellow's a nice guy. Yeah, he invited me to church. What kind of testimony would you want? So I challenge all of you in here. When you go out into the community, remember you're a representative. You're an ambassador for Christ. Amen. And if you're a member of this church, remember your attitude when you're out there. Because if you're often blowing a gasket and yelling and screaming and hyping up at people, hey, listen, back off. <laughs> Slow down a little bit. 
and have the right spirit and the right attitude because I want them to come to church. I don't want them to say, well, I ain't going to that church. So-and-so goes over there. If you'd have seen what they did the other day, whoo <laughs> ain't no way I'm going to that church. So your testimony matters, doesn't it? So the high calling is a good testimony as well. Now consider this calling of God, and perhaps one of you men in this church tonight is being called to the Lord to do this good work, and then us as believers, we ought to be praying that way. God calls some people. Last thought is this. I want to talk about the conduct of the pastor. Look at verse 7. It says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Now beyond the qualifications, God has given the pastor there, Uh, this responsibility to maintain a godly behavior in all aspects of the position, and that God uh, called him to do this work. He called him here at this church, and he says, you need to feed the flock of God according to Acts. You need to rebuke the sheep sometimes. And I want you to see this firsthand. You're there in 1 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy with me, if you will. Turn to chapter 4 and look at verses 2 and 3 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He tells the pastor, he's telling Timothy, he says, preach the word of God, be instant in season, out of season. Now watch this, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So you're to do it with the truth of the scriptures. By the way, the doctrine is the teaching, right? So when you do it, you need to use the word of God to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So then he says, for the time will come when they will not endure what kind of doctrine? They're not going to endure it. And when you start preaching sound doctrine, there are many people who will not endure sound doctrine because it goes against the way they feel rather than adhering to truth. And he said, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The guy I was telling you about in Uniontown, what's he doing for those people? (laughs) You know? And you start scratching the itching ears. You ever watch a dog, you get behind his ear, and the leg starts going like this, right? He's happy, isn't he? Oh, I feel good. Go ahead, preacher. Just, <laughs> preacher. Ooh, I feel good, preacher. Keep doing it. Right? And you think about it. What is it that the people want? Well, when Moses went up to the mount, what did the people rise up and do? They began to play, didn't they? They don't want a leader. They want to have some fun. When you think about this, God puts this man in this position to rebuke the sheep at times. Then he gives him the responsibility also to evangelize. Look at 2 Timothy there in chapter 4 and look at verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So you wonder sometimes, man, pastor, man, he's getting on it about getting saved and having us go out and knock on doors and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because we have to evangelize. Not just myself, we as a body have to go do this. So men, if you're being called into the ministry, you ought to ask the Lord, help me with that area of my life to be a witness for you, Lord, to, to make sure that I'm doing everything I can. Now listen, it doesn't mean just because you haven't won anybody that you can't be a pastor, but I'm telling you, most pastors are trying to win people to the Lord. So you ought to start now trying to win the loss to Christ. When I think about this conduct, the life of a pastor should be above reproach in all areas, in his personal conduct, in his appearance. It should no way hinder the cause of Christ. And their families are also vital to the ministry. In essence, the home provides what I would call a training ground for the exercise of his leadership. Let me give you a handout here. Brother Jim, Brother Chris, would you come? 
And we'll give these to these uh, folks. Now, as soon as I give these to you, you're going to read them. You're not going to listen to me no more. <laughs> and so, but I want you to have this. And you can go look all this up because this is just the qualifications and all this. There's a great deal of danger for the pastor and his family. There's a great deal of danger for the pastor and his family. And the reason I share that with you is because if someone is called to do the work of God, do you think the devil's going to stand by idle and not let anything go wrong? <laughs> or do you think he's going to get in there and try to mess things up? Do you think the devil's going to not do anything at all, or do you think he's going to get in there and mess up? And you know, I was with a group of pastors, and we were talking. And one of the things that we began to talk about, and we began to really pray about, is our firstborn. And as we began to think about our firstborn, the devil tries to attack our firstborn often. Why? Well, we talked about that. But you know, I asked not only to pray for my firstborn, but I asked you to pray for my family. Pray for those boys. Pray that God would call them into the ministry. Pray for my daughters that they might marry a man who's a missionary or a pastor. Pray that they themselves would stay right with the Lord. Hey, listen, pray for my wife and myself. Pray for our marriage. Pray for us to stay strong. Pray that the devil doesn't interfere in our lives and try to intercede and try to make things go haywire. Because why? Because he wants to do just that. If the devil knows that this desire is in this man's heart, don't you think he'll try to derail that work? If what's really in that man's heart is to do a work for God and to really do something for the Lord, don't you think for a moment <laughs> that the devil's going to sit by idle? He's going to try to destroy that. That's why we need your prayer. This is the reason that the church family needs to be constantly praying for the pastor and his household. And the devil's not going to leave him alone. The devil's not left me alone since I've been here. And he's not going to leave my family alone. He's not left my family alone since we've been here. He's constantly looking for some hole in my hedge. I promise you that. He's always looking for an opportunity to take a stab at us. And I have to pray diligently. And listen, don't you want to know that your pastor prays for you? Don't you want a pastor that prays for you? I mean, I would. I pray for you folks by name. I'm asking you, get on your knees and pray for your pastor and his family. Because <laughs> we need your help spiritually. And so, guys, if you're called into the ministry, you need to have a strong prayer life. You need to know how to pray and how to fast. And you need to ask the Lord to help you in what all has to come your way. And by the way, he's not going to leave your family alone. He's not going to leave your children alone. He's going to continually attack because just as you know, uh, the qualifications of the pastor are listed here. Don't you know the devil knows what they are too? He knows what that says. And if he can cause that man to slip or miss a step, and if he can't get to him, he's going to try to get to his wife. If he can't get to his wife, he's going to try to get to his children. <laughs> and you know, we pray together collectively. Why? We are all on the same team. Amen. And we ought to be praying for one another by name. Thinking about one another. Now the man that holds this position must pray and fast and seek God's uh, direction continually. 
And as the overseer of the local New Testament church, the pastor must maintain an honest and worthy testimony in his community in which he lives. Without means external. This is done so that he does not, or in any order, uh, get overwhelmed and are trapped by insults or insolent people. or He doesn't allow himself to fall prey to that language or that treatment. And this is simply a trap by the devil. He does this, and he tries to throw things at that man. He tries to throw things at that church, and he tries to throw that church off course. And if he can, he wants us to have a poor testimony in the community. Because where are we going out into to try to reach a people? Into this community. So you yourselves need to have a good testimony. The pastor needs to have a good testimony. Amen? And we need to do everything we can to reach the lost and pray that men would be called into the ministry. You know, I think this is a trick of the devil. I mean, it's like an open noose sometimes. <laughs> He's just waiting for you to slip your neck in it. I'm not talking about the office of the pastor. I'm just talking about an opportunity to cause you to slip. Not just me, you. And he's looking for every opportunity that he can. Uh, and, and Chuck Cofty, how many of you know Chuck Cofty? You ever hear Brother Cofty preach? Brother Cofty, a wonderful man of God, evangelist for years. He was a military man, a Marine. And uh, Brother Cofty came, and uh, he brought this to our church. And I want to give this to you, and I want you to think about this. He gave us Psalm 91.3. You ought to write this down, because we're going to need it probably this week. Since I preach this, the devil knows I'm up to no good. <laughs> right? It says, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Who will? God will. Who's that fowler? Who is that snare set for? Well, the snare is set for you. Who's that fowler? The devil himself. He's just got the noose open waiting for you to step into it. So tonight, as we think about this, you say, well, pastor, what do you want me to do? Well, if you're here tonight and you're saved and God hadn't called you into the ministry, <laughs> I want us to pray together that God would use our church to call men and missionaries. Amen? And then maybe some of you young fellows that are in here tonight, maybe God's calling you. And maybe you just need to come to this altar and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And maybe God's talking to you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.